All right. Well, it's good to see all of you that are left. I think everybody went to junior church today. I'm glad a few of you are in here with us this morning. I'm thankful for all of the ministry that goes on here on over the course of the Sunday and throughout the week. And it was a blessing this week to see God do some wonderful things in people's hearts and lives as He continues to do His great work here. I'm thankful God is alive. He's not dead. Um, if you're watching the news this week, maybe you thought He was. Uh, maybe you thought that uh, people in our country think He is. But I'm thankful that He's not. Jesus is alive. The gospel still works. God's still on the throne. And He's still in charge. Jesus, in fact, is still building His church. Believe it or not. And the Holy Spirit is present with us this morning. And I'm looking forward to meeting with you and with the Lord today and seeing Him do His work. We didn't have to invite the Holy Spirit to be here today because if you're a believer, you brought Him with you. And I hope that you know that He's dwelling in you and that you're walking in the Spirit and living in His strength day by day. But there's a lot if you look outside of the walls of our church and you look outside of the people that are gathered here this morning, there's a lot to be discouraged about if you just keep your eyes on this world and what's in our uh, news and the things in our country, the unrest around us. And, and you know, the problems aren't just limited to the United States. There's problems all around this world. We understand that that problem is sin. And yet I know as, as many of you as, as Americans, not all of us are Americans. I'm thankful for people from all over the world here even this morning. But for many of us, we have a lot that we're concerned about and uh, that we see our, our issues in our world. Often there are questions asked, well, why is our country in the mess that it's in? And it's easy to point fingers and to have issues with many different groups of people. We could ask, why are there more churches that close every year than churches that open every year? In fact, there are many churches that most believe will not open after this coronavirus time is past us. Many have still not opened. Many aren't even having an online service, having nothing available for their people. Why is church attendance in America at an all-time low? Well, we can blame a lot of things. Some would like to look back and say, well, in the 1960s, the Bible was taken out of the public school. And that's the reason why we're in the problem today. We, we could fast forward to 2006, some 45 years after the Bible was taken out and the president at the time when he was speaking about his new America and he said, whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. He said we are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, and a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. Our, our president said that in 2006, and while he faced a lot of backlash for that statement, a lot of people would say, well, what he said, unfortunately, is the state of our nation as it is. And yet it's not where we want it to be, it's not where it was, and it's not where it should be. In fact, if you watched any of the presidential debate this week, you would see that often the concerns coming out of that was not so much what was said as to how it was said. Truth, it seems, is irrelevant. Or at least it's completely up to you. Truth doesn't seem to matter in our culture. So what are we as believers to do? Well, the predominant worldview when our country was founded by its founders was 
a worldview that believed in the Bible, even if they weren't all Christians following after God in, in obedience in every area, they acknowledged God and they submitted themselves to Him. In fact, it's still listed on our coins. It says, in God we trust. There was a belief that marriage was between one man and one woman and that murdering babies was wrong. People understood right and wrong because they understood that there was an absolute authority, God. And He's written it down for us in His Word. When there's no absolute authority to declare what is right and wrong, we end up looking like ancient Israel in the time of the judges when the Bible says that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Truth has become relative. So where did the church go wrong? How, how did we end up in this place? I think we have to be honest with ourselves and say, as Christians, we have not been faithful to the great commission that God has given us. The vast majority of Christians, and this is just from surveys and, and statistics that they have done, the vast majority of Christians never share their faith with anybody, much less lead somebody else to Christ. And now as we face a world that does not know God, I think in some ways it has become easier to make excuses for not sharing the gospel. Even this year as so, as many things have been closed down, people have used that as an excuse not to talk to anybody about the Lord. One author, Ken Ham, in his book, Gospel Reset, also gives this argument for why some people are not faithful, even Christians, in sharing their gospel. And he talks about their view of eschatology or end times. He says this, well... Some people have the thought that, well, the Bible says that in the last days, things will get worse and worse. So what is the point in trying to do anything? Because the worse it gets, that means the closer Jesus is to coming back. Unfortunately, that mentality pervades the thinking of many Christians today. Well, they may not say it with their lips, that's what they're living with their life. This fatalism is never right it is never the right response to the wickedness in our world. In fact, in Philippians 2, Paul wrote and he said, we are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Paul told the Romans that the truth about the coming of the Lord is motivating us to wake up and put on the armor of light, not to sit around passively and let our culture go to hell. To do nothing is a misapplication and an inappropriate response to Bible prophecy and eschatology. As things get darker, we must shine brighter. It is an opportunity to work, not an excuse to wait. No matter what goes on in the culture around us, we must be about the king's business. We must evangelize the lost and make disciples. We must be faithful stewards of the gifts that God has given us until our Master and Lord returns. James read it a few minutes ago in verse 3 of Jude. The Bible says we must earnestly contend for the faith. 
In 1 Peter 3.15, the Bible tells us we must be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. That means ready to speak out and speak the truth and declare it with boldness. And in Matthew 28.18-20, we are to preach the gospel. We are to go and share the good news that Jesus saves. Jesus is coming back soon. But when Jesus says that He's coming back soon, that could mean it's still another thousand years away. I don't think it'll be that long. But the Bible tells us very clearly that no man knows the day or the hour. And if we try to just predict His coming as an excuse for not doing anything for the, until the Lord returns, that's the wrong way to look. When he's coming back, he could come back in a thousand years, could be 500 years, it could be next week, could be tomorrow, it could be today. He's coming back soon. We don't know, but we do know what he's commanded us to do until he comes back. Our former president thought that not being a Christian nation was actually a good thing. He viewed this as a sign of growth in our country. Perhaps he even thought of this as the hope and change that he promised to bring. But the answer is not to be angry with a former president that promotes turning away from God. The answer is to point people to Jesus. As Christians, when we lose our focus and we look at things in this world and we get angry at sin, it should not surprise us that people sin. That's what sinners do. They need Jesus. See, the problem in America is not that belief in the true God has died, but rather that there has been the birth of many other gods. And these other voices tend to drown out the one true God because those who claim to follow the one true God don't seem to be very interested in talking about Him. Instead of one God, now there are many gods. But while this world is a spiritually dark place, can I encourage you this morning? There's hope. There's hope. Jesus is alive and well. When He rose from the grave some 2,000 years ago and then ascended up to the right hand of His Father, He's still there today making intercession for us and preparing a place for all who believe in Him to spend eternity with Him forever. I'm so thankful that the gospel still works. God hasn't stopped saving people. If He ever does, that's when you know Jesus is coming back because He's delayed His coming because He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering to usward. I'm thankful to see that take place even yesterday as some of us were up here for some training and practice working on things with our security around the church and, and we were hosting a... a a memorial for a young man who passed away here in our neighborhood just a couple weeks ago from a drug overdose. Now, it's easy for some to say, well, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to think about those people, those struggles. But when we act like that, we're putting ourselves on a pedestal and acting like we're something special, and they're not. Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you and as much as he died for me. Yesterday, we had a large crowd here. They were out front in the parking lot. They were eating barbecue. They were selling T-shirts with the face of a young man that lost his life due to very bad choices. And yet, as God allowed that to take place because of the relationships that we've developed with people in our community, 
God allowed those people to say, well, I need a place to use the restroom. And as they came in here to get a restroom, they heard the gospel. And at least one that we know of, Joseph, trusted Christ yesterday. God hasn't stopped working. In Acts 17, Paul is preaching the gospel in a city that was known for its idolatry. There were many, many gods worshipped in the city of Athens. And Paul was faithful to carry out the mission, the great commission that God had given to him. Just as I believe we must be faithful to carry out the mission that God has given to us. This is a very interesting passage of Scripture here because Paul, when he comes into Athens, he goes about his evangelism process very similar to how he had done many times prior to this in many other cities that he had visited on his missionary journeys. I think one of our challenges that we face today and may even result in an excuse that we make is that, well, things are hard. The world is just a dark place and people don't respond like they used to. But that's not an excuse to not share the truth. But I think it does behoove us as Christians to take a step back and consider the Word of God and say, how can we share the truth in an effective way that ministers to people where they're at with the understanding that they have? Because we live in a world today that is a very idolatrous world. People are falling after all kinds of things, and there is very little knowledge of the one true God. This has been true in other nations for a long time. And I think it's difficult for us as Christians who maybe have grown up in this country to realize that we are living in some of that same world today here. But that doesn't diminish the responsibility that we have to share the gospel. And so God's Word, I think here in Acts 17, gives us a wonderful picture and a process by which we can be faithful witnesses for Jesus Christ, even in a wicked and idolatrous culture that we live in. Notice with me, if you will, in verse 16 of Acts 17, the Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Does it bother you when you see the sin in our culture? Does it stir you up? I know it stirs me up. You ought to feel something when you see the wickedness going on around us. It should bother you the way our culture lives. The question is, if it bothers you, what are you doing about it? Because unfortunately, I think many Christians just sit home and stay bothered. But that's not what Paul did. He was stirred up as he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Notice in verse 17, Therefore, here's what he did about it, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout, devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So Paul went about his evangelistic process like he had done at other places. He would often first go to the synagogue where the Jews met to read the law and, discuss, and to discuss the truth of God's word. See, Paul was a Jew. Paul was a Pharisee. He was trained in the law. He knew their doctrine. And because of his credentials, he was able to go into their place where they would read God's word and be able to speak to them and share the truth with them in the synagogue. Now, this was something that God had uniquely equipped the Apostle Paul to do. 
because of his Jewish heritage, because of his Pharisaical training, because of his background, his education and credentials, Paul was able to go into the synagogue and share the gospel where you and I would not be welcome to go. You know, I believe that every experience, every bit of education, every background that you've come out of, everything that you've gone through in your life, God can use those things as tools to share the gospel. And I'm thankful as I look out across this room this morning, and I know others are joining us online as well. We have people from all different backgrounds, all different educational levels, all different financial situations, all different kinds of experiences. I'm never bored when it comes to church just hearing people's stories. It's amazing to see all the people that God brings together in making a church. A body, a, a healthy body is diverse. If you ever see a body that has like, you know, 42 fingers on it, you know that that body has problems. I'm thankful that God has made a diverse body here, and I pray that it continues to grow that way because God uses those tools for His glory. If we don't use those to divide us, but rather say, how can we together do the work that God has called for us to do? Paul went to the synagogue because God had given him the ability to do that. But as he ministered in the synagogue, he didn't stop his ministry there. I think we have to be really careful, too, even as Christians in this day. We like to minister as long as we're inside our safe space. But he didn't stay in the synagogue. He was out in the marketplace, too. He was interacting with the people in the community. He was ministering to those who didn't have any background in what he was doing. When he was in the synagogue, those people understood when he said, open up your Torah to this, right? Or as he read from the scroll that might have been there, they would have been familiar with it. But then he went out and ministered in the marketplace to people who were very unfamiliar with what he was saying. And as he ministered there, notice in verse 18, it says, Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? After some, he, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. When they heard Paul's message, they said, you're just a babbler. You're not making any sense. Who is this Jesus and the resurrection? We don't know anything about this. I believe as we continue to see our culture step away from the things of God, the more we're going to have to think carefully about how we share the truth. It doesn't mean we share it less, but we need to share it even more. Paul had started at Jesus and got to the resurrection. That worked with the Jewish audience in the synagogue. They knew who God was. They knew what the Old Testament said. They understood the law. Paul was preaching in the synagogue how Jesus had fulfilled the law and how he had risen again from the dead and how he was the Messiah and the people could follow him and many Jews were turning to Christ during this time. But when Paul shared that same message in the marketplace, the people said, you're just a babbler. You don't make any sense. Can I encourage you, Christian, today when you go out and minister in the marketplace? If you don't take time to start truth where people are coming from, you're just going to sound like a babbler too. And I'm thankful in this example here, Paul didn't just keep insisting on starting there. If you read the story, he goes back to the beginning. And we're going to get there here. 
So the Bible says here in verse 19, Then they took him and brought him unto Areopagus. This was this high place there in Athens where they had idols and altars to all kinds of false gods. In fact, you can go visit that place today. It's still there. My dad has pictures. He and my brother got to go visit there a few years ago. Can you imagine standing there in the place where all that idolatry took place, all that idol worship, and yet right in the middle of all that was where Paul stood up and shared the gospel. My friend, may we not only share the gospel when we're standing in our safe place on Sunday morning. May we be faithful to share the gospel in the marketplace, on the hills full of idols, in the places where the culture seems to have won, where idolatry seems to have taken the day and, and nobody else seems to have any voice. And yet, as he was faithful to share the truth, God put him in a place where he could speak to many there in the city that day. As he stood there on Areopagus, he, the people said to him, look at middle of verse 19, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers were there, which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. If you are faithfully sharing the gospel with people right now, I think you will find there is actually an interest in hearing some new thing right now. I think many people in our culture have tried enough of the culture and they're realizing it's not satisfying. They've been there, they've done that, they're wearing the proverbial t-shirt and it hasn't satisfied them. I do think, as you are faithful, we saw this yesterday as we were talking to people. We, we saw this when we were over in Louisiana after the hurricane there. I, I see this even in our own neighborhood as we talk to people. There is a hunger for truth. People are questioning everything. We have a great opportunity right now if we'll be faithful to what God has commanded us to do. These people wanted to hear. They said, Paul, tell us. We want to know what these things mean. And so Paul, verse 22, he says, He stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I saw you worshiping all these gods. I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Paul, as he walked up there, he sees this altar to the unknown God. They had idols and altars for every possible God that they knew of. And just to make sure they hadn't missed one, there was one over here to the unknown God. It's almost as if this place, Mars Hill, Areopagus, was the place where all ideas were invited. Where all ideas were seen as equal. You could have your God and I could have my God and they could have their gods and we could all share a place with our own gods. Sounds very similar to our culture today, doesn't it? You can have your belief, I can have my... Let's all just share our beliefs. We'll all just coexist and get along together and that's the way to peace and happiness 
and enlightenment. As the phrase goes, as was asked over the years, can't we all just get along? You understand that comes from a really bad theology? As Christians, we're not here to fight you, be mean to you, but we have to share the truth. And Paul shared it here in these next few verses. And I think it's very important. There's three big points that you're going to see this morning. And I think these three big points go directly in opposition to where our culture is today. And I think these will help you. If you'll consider these, they will strengthen your faith. And if you will think through these in your own mind and think of how you can articulate to these to others, these will help you in your witness as well. Paul, first of all, started out by telling them, as he stood in the midst of all this idolatry and all these false gods, he started out by saying that there is one God. There is one God. Notice verse number 24. He starts out very simply. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, Dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with man's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. My friend, the reason there's concern, the reason that there's unrest, people don't know who God is. They're worshiping anything and everything, trying to find something that can satisfy. Whether it's something they can drink or something they can inject into their body or something that they can do, enlightenment, entertainment, possessions, other forms of worship, whatever it is, they're trying to fill up their lives with something to take the place of their need for God. And Paul starts out by saying there's one God, and he describes this God to them. He said, this is the God that made the world and all things therein. You understand how important the creation story is to our understanding of the gospel? You can't get to the gospel without a God who created all things. If people don't have an understanding of who God is and, and He's the one that made all things, the gospel either doesn't make sense or it seems unnecessary. And that's where these people, they, they thought He was a babbler. So He went back to the beginning. He said, there's one God, the God who made all things. Now, can you see this in our society as there has been a battle going back now quite a few years to try to remove any mention of God's hand in the origins of our universe. In fact, it seems like the only thing you can even kind of say and seem somewhat acceptable is that, well, you know, maybe there was this cosmic being out there that started things off, but then he just kind of let them be how they are, and that's how we ended up today. That's not what the Bible teaches. In the beginning, God. And what did he do? He created the heavens and the earth. Paul here in Acts 17, 24, goes right back to Genesis 1, 1. 
I believe that you can start anywhere in Scripture and get to Christ and get to the gospel. I think it was Spurgeon who said that. People said, well, how do you preach from all these texts? He said, well, I start wherever God puts me and then I make a beeline to the cross. But if we start at the cross and people don't understand the God who created it all, they won't understand the cross. There has to be an understanding of the one true God. The God who made all things. Notice this God who made all things. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Because He made everything, therefore He's in charge of everything. That makes sense. If you made it, it's yours. You get to do with it what you want. God made all things, therefore He's Lord. And by the way, He says this, Lord, He dwells not in temples made with hands. God isn't something that you can put into a box and control. Why? Because He made everything and because He's Lord and therefore He can't be put in a temple that you make with your hands. He goes on here, not only does He not fit into a, a temple, some sort of form that you can have control over and dictate to, but the Lord and Creator of all things that gives life and breath to all creatures cannot be made with the hands of His creation. Notice verse 25. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He, that's God, giveth to all life and breath and all things. When you understand that God is the source of life, breath, and all things, the gospel starts to make a whole lot more sense, doesn't it? Because if God made it all, if God's in control of it all, if God is the giver of all things, then therefore God gets to decide how those things work. It would be like you as a child, and I built a lot of models growing up, pulling out a model car or a model airplane or a model boat or Model rocket, we used to build those and go fire them off. A lot of fun, and we've done some of that with my boys. We're always looking for more places to do it, you know. But it would be like if we got that model and we opened up all those pieces, and then we just started gluing them together and sticking them on however we wanted. It wouldn't work because we weren't following the instructions of the designer. When we try to live our lives different than, way God, than the way God designed it, it doesn't work. God gives us all life and breath and all things. So how then can we make an idol out of our hands and call that God? If God's the one that gave us life, He gave you the ability to form that thing with your hands. So why would you worship something you make with your own hands or some idea that you came up with when God made you in the first place? You understand His process here? If people don't recognize that there is one true God who made all things, if they try to skip over that idea, you can't ever get them to the gospel. Now, I'm thankful many people, even those who haven't grown up believing the Bible the way we believe it, there are still many people that do have an understanding of God, that He's sovereign, that He's in charge. There are some religions that teach that. Now, they don't teach Jesus as the answer. They teach often good works are the answer. So with those people, they already have a bit of a starting point with God. And so you can take them from there right to the gospel and show them that good works can't save you because you've sinned against this holy God. And so because of your sin, 
right? The Romans road. We can show you how to trust in Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But let's say you have somebody, and I think we have more and more of these somebodies all the time in our culture, that has no concept of the one true God. Well, offending whatever you think of as God, that doesn't mean much to them. But if you've offended the one true God who made all things, who's in charge of all things, who does all things and decides how everything gets done, now you've got a problem and you need a solution. Paul declared this truth to these people. But it's interesting, he didn't stop here just with the one true God. Notice in verse 26, we know there's one true God, but we'll see also here there is one blood. There's one race, the human race. And this makes total sense because there's one God. If there were many gods who, that all had the ability to make things and do things, it would make sense that there would be many different races. The Bible doesn't teach that there are many races. You say, well, there's racism in our culture. It's because people don't believe in one God. They believe that you evolved and got here some other way and Therefore, racism seems to make sense, right? Because it's survival of the fittest and some are better than others because they've evolved higher than others and all these things. That is not Bible. That is absolute, wicked, false heresy. And it seems very innocuous at first. I mean, not a big deal. Why does it really matter? It matters because you can't get to the gospel if you don't understand who God is. There's one God who made one blood. Notice in verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, so all the different nations, one blood of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and, notice this, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God has determined for all people they're all one race. We would say we're all descended from the same two people, Adam and Eve. And yes, we realize there's differences in skin color. There's differences in height and weight. There's differences in other areas of our bodies. But we're all part of the same human race. And if you look down on somebody else because they look different than you, you do not understand that there is one true God that made all things. It is absolute wickedness to try to say anything else. These people, all people that he made, he's determined their times. He's determined, he determined when you were going to be born. He, he determines when you're going to die. He determines the bounds of your habitation, where you live and how you function. But why did he do this? In verse 27, he says that they should seek the Lord. God didn't create you to just live however you wanted. He created you to seek Him. And if you're living your life apart from God, or you're saying, well, I kind of got one foot with God and one foot over here with something else, you're not living as God intended for you to live. Ultimately, you're not really recognizing that God is God. 
and that you are not. He made one human race, one blood, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. Oh, that's, there's great comfort there, isn't there? We look at some people, ah, they're, well, they're a long way from God. God's not far from them. Amen. I'm so thankful that He came to me. Right? When I was lost in sin with Adam, He came to me and He came to you. He found you. He picked you up out of the miry clay and He set your feet on a rock. God is near to all those who call upon Him. Boy, that should change our witness, shouldn't it? I've had people tell me things. Like, well, we need to stay away from that neighborhood. We need to go over here. We need to do this. We need to do that. Why? Those people need Jesus. He died for them. God is just as near to them as He is to somebody who grew up and seemed to have everything that this world has to offer. And some, I would argue that the Bible even teaches that it's easier for a poor man to get into the kingdom than for a rich man. God's not willing that any should perish. He's, he's reaching out to all. In verse 28, for in Him we live and move and have our being. Now imagine Paul's audience here, right? He's talking to the Epicureans, the Stoics, the, these philosophers of the day, and I won't go into all the detail about the belief systems of these philosophies. You can go and study this on your own. It's, it's pretty fascinating. And you can see this same type of thinking and ideology in our culture today. This belief that somehow, you know, happiness comes from just fulfillment and living your life according to your own dictates and your own rules or that the way to find happiness is through the mind and, and living according to, you know, being very logical and thoughtful in all your process and, you know, being a, being a minimalist or, or being somebody who's very disciplined, who exercises well, who has all these things together. Again, not, those things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but those are not the way to God. Why? Because in Him, not in our knowledge, not in our power, not in our own ability, in Him we live and move and have our being. And Paul even references one of their poets. He uses a, an extra-biblical source, just literature of the day, because this would have been something that they would have heard. They would have known. It, he says, even one of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, Paul confirms it here, we are made in God's image. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. God is not something that you can make with your hands. And oh, we, we worship architecture, we worship art, we worship the artist. Thousands will gather to hear some musician or artist play their songs. 
Because again, that's where happiness comes from. That's where peace and fulfillment. But that's not what the Bible teaches. It's a false God. There's one God. There's one human race. And there's one gospel. There's one gospel. See, we live in a world that wants to teach you there are many gods. A world that says there are many races. And a world that says there are many gospels. But that's not what the Bible teaches. There's one God, there's one race, and there's one gospel. Notice in verse 30, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. That's God's patience. Because He could have killed you the moment you sinned the first time. He had every right to. He's holy. So that'd be mean. He's just. That's not fair. Well, who are you to determine what is fair? You're not God. And neither am I. I'm thankful that God has winked at our ignorance many times. That's why you're here this morning. Because God winked. And He laid all of your sin on His Son. Oh, may we not think so highly of ourselves. That we were special enough. Well, God didn't have to wink much when he looked at me. No. I don't know if he ever even opened his eyes with some of us. God is patient. God is kind. But he says here, But now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God is kind. God is patient. God does wink at sin. He, he closes His eyes and doesn't bring immediate judgment to every sin that's committed. But there is coming a day and you must repent. Because God is under no obligation to continue winking at your sin. That's what Paul told the Athenians that day and that's the same message that you need to hear today that I need to hear today and that this world needs to hear today. There's one God. He's in charge. And there's coming a day of judgment when He no longer will close His eyes to the sin and He'll bring about His full wrath on the sin of mankind. Not because He's not good, but because He's holy. And if God was good, how could He allow sin to come in and contaminate and mess up heaven and His holiness. There's one gospel. There's coming a day. God has commanded all men to repent. He says it in verse 31, Because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness. And then He tells us the standard of His righteousness. Because this is an issue when it comes to the gospel too, right? Because whatever your measuring stick is, it determines how tall something is or how you measure something. Our measuring stick 
is Christ. Do you see it right here in the verse? He's appointed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Here it is. By that man whom he hath ordained. Who was that man? See, they didn't know who Jesus was. So he's working back to it so they'll understand. By that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men. So how do we know this was the right man? Here it says, in that he hath raised him from the dead. How did you know he's really Jesus? How did you know he's God? Because he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day, and he's alive, and he's risen again, and he's sitting there at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. He is alive. And that's how we know he's God. And he is our standard of righteousness. Well, we can find a lot of ways out of it, can't we, when we make other things our standard. You know, I could bring a lot of people up here on the stage this morning and go, yep, I think I'm doing better than they are. And that wouldn't help me one bit. Because that's not my standard. You might even look up here and see me and go, well, I know he's taller than me. (laughs) But I've got him beat and you could start listing the areas and you might be right. But that wouldn't help you one bit. But how many times do people sit on their couch or look at something on TV or watch a debate like we did this week? Oh, what a mess. At least I'm better than they are. Right? It doesn't do you any good. (laughs) Oh, may we not pat ourselves on the back and look at our own righteousness. Because the Bible says it's just filthy rags. Your standard is Jesus. And we know he's God because he rose from the dead. Well, what was the response of the people? Well, there's a great revival that day and everybody got saved. No, that's not what happened. That was Pentecost. But it didn't change Paul's message, did it? Here was the response, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, see, they listened all the way up to there. When he came to the resurrection, some mocked. Some mocked. And if you let mocking keep you from sharing the truth, where's your confidence in anyway? If it's in the Lord, stand up and be, be bold to declare the truth of the gospel. Some may mock, and others said, well, we'll hear thee again of this matter. In our culture today, as I share the gospel with people, it seems like those are the two responses that I get most of the time. Some mock. But you'd be surprised it's not as many as you think. Some will mock. But I think this middle response is the one it seems like I get the most of all. Well, I'll I'll hear you again on this. I'll listen to that again sometime. Maybe I'd like to know more. We should never be afraid of somebody that wants to know more of the truth. That shouldn't discourage us at all. I think sometimes, though, we want to be able to come in and tell us, well, I I led these people to the Lord today. God saves people. And if you're only doing it so you can walk around and talk about, well, this is what I did, this is what I did, you have the wrong focus in the first place. If we share the gospel and somebody mocks, at least they got to hear the truth. 
If we hear the gospel and they say, well, I'll hear you again, we have another opportunity to go back. And we got to steward those opportunities. Write them down and make, no, get, make a way so you can go back and talk to them again. How sad if we just dream like, well, maybe someday someone else will cross their path. No, God's giving opportunity. Now you get to go back. Some mocked. Some said, we'll hear thee again. And so Paul departed from among them. And, but the story doesn't stop there. Look at verse 34. How be it? Certain men clave unto him and believed. Among the which was Dionysius. Dionysius? I don't know. I always struggle with that name. The Areopagite. This is an interesting man. All we know is his name. But because he's an Areopagite, seemed like he's a follower of what was going on there in Areopagus. We don't know anything about this man other than that he believed and that he was there that day. But being called an Areopagite is interesting because it makes us think that probably this man was some sort of person that they all recognize he, he's a worshiper of what goes on at Areopagus. Maybe he's a guy that was trying to worship all the gods. Maybe he was the guy that made sure there was some sort of offering, you know, so he had all of his bases covered. I've met some people like that. I go to this church this week and this church there, and I go over here, and then I do this over here. I just want to make sure I have all my bases covered. I've studied all the religions. I've read everything. I just try to know everything, so I have it all covered. We don't know all about this guy, but it is interesting that the Bible, God said, we want to know about this guy, that he's an Areopagite. So he put his name in the Bible. He believed. And there was also a lady, too, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. See, the response of the people to the gospel was not all the same. Some mocked, some said, we'll hear it again, and some believed. If we let the response determine whether or not we're going to share the message, we've failed. We, are, we must be faithful to share the message no matter what the response is. But can I encourage you that as you share the message of the gospel, realize you need to take enough time with people to understand where they're coming from. If you're talking to somebody that has some background in a, in a teaching or religion where they at least recognize that there is one true God, you're actually a lot further down the road in being able to explain the gospel to them. But if, as many people in our culture today, especially a lot of young people growing up through our educational systems and, and as they look at the world around us, they think, well, there's many gods. There's a lot of different options. It's okay, and you need to go all the way back to the beginning. And if you just push right there from Jesus to the resurrection, Jesus to the resurrection, they may just look at you like these Athenians looked at Paul and just say, you're a babbler, you're not making any sense. Don't be discouraged by that. You say, well, we just live in a bad world. Nobody wants to hear about Jesus. They don't know who he is. So be willing to love them enough to go back to the beginning. Start with God and his creation and lead them through this process to be able to get to the point where they can recognize who Jesus is and trust in him. Be very careful as a Christian before you write somebody off who, like some of these Athenians, really wanted to know more. 
I believe if somebody wants to know more or wants to know something, is asking questions, God's working on their heart. Be willing to go back and take the time. Go back, as Paul may have had to do with some of these people, and say, all right, I'm going to talk to you again, and I'm going to talk to you again. Many people will not trust Christ the first time you talk to them about it. Most of you didn't. We hear it again, and we hear it again, and we have somebody explain things to us and go back to the beginning. Even a couple of the guys, the, the brothers of the young man who passed away, and they came in first and, you know, talked to me about using the property, and we said that'd be okay. And then, you know, the, I talked to them throughout the day. I had an opportunity to witness to them yesterday morning, and they both said, hmm, that's interesting. We'd like to hear some more about this later. They didn't get saved, but we have another opportunity. And pray that we can continue to go and go and be faithful. That's what a lot of ministry is, isn't it? When it's the gospel ministry of sharing the gospel with others. May we not get discouraged because we don't always see the numbers that we want or have the instantaneous decisions that, oh, why don't you understand? Take people to the truth of God's word. Here's the thing I want to encourage you with, though. In this passage, Paul never defends the truth. He just declares the truth. He starts right out and just says, God. And he tells them who God is. And because God is this, he made one race. And because he made one race, this is how we ought to behave. And because we've all sinned and Jesus is our standard, we must trust in Jesus for salvation. You don't have to defend the truth. The truth will defend itself, but you do have to declare the truth. You don't even have to debate the truth. Declare the truth and let God's Holy Spirit do His work that only He can do. God can take His Word and cut to places you could never reach with your words, your logic, your effort. The Bible says he can pierce even to the dividing asunder of the joints and marrow and the soul and spirit. He's the discerner of the thoughts and intents of our heart. But don't stand by silently, frustrated, discouraged, angry about things that you feel are wrong in this world. Find someone or a group of someone's Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody in your own house. And lovingly and carefully declare the truth. There's one God who created one race for His glory. And He sent His own Son to save them through the one gospel. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And He's the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. This is not a message to divide people. It's a message to point people to the one answer, to the one true God. May we be faithful till Jesus comes to share the good news. And may we understand our foundation is in the Word of God, in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And let's preach it, let's declare it, let's share it. Because Jesus is coming soon, and all people need to know 
because there's a day of judgment coming. I hope you're ready. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't go from here. This is the truth. It's the Word of God. There's one God. You and I don't get to decide who God is or, you know, based on our feelings or our intellect. He is God, whether or not you believe in Him. But if you'll believe in Him and confess your sin, trust in Jesus because He died for your sin, you can spend eternity with Him and have a personal relationship with Him. And if you know God as you, and you know Jesus as your Savior, go and share it. Tell it. There's a world out here that I believe many want to know. There are many that are searching, that are hungry, and they just don't know what the answer is. Don't save it. Share it. Father, help us. We love you. You've given us a great task, and you didn't send us out to do it in our own strength because we could never do it in our own strength. You've given us your Holy Spirit. I love in your word where it says it's not by might, by power, but by the Spirit. Father, we need you to do your work in our hearts this morning. Perhaps there's somebody here today that's never trusted you. I pray that today would be the day they'd call out to you, confess their sin and trust in you as their Savior. Lord, knowing the people that I'm speaking to, at least most of them this morning, I know many would profess you as their Savior. My concern is some are not stirred up at all by the idolatry. We've become so immune to it, it's become so normal to us, that it doesn't even bother us to see people living at odds to a holy God. Lord, break our hearts this morning over the need for the lost to hear the gospel. And then, Lord, encourage us and help us. May we be equipped with your word and the power of your spirit to go and share the good news. Lord, this is foundational to what we believe. It's foundational to who we are because of who you are and what you've done for us. Bless our time of response now. May people respond in their hearts and with their lives in obedience to you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray.